That's good singing this morning. Thank you for being here. I, I'm so excited today. I'm thankful that you're here. Uh, if it's your first time, as Jeff said, we're excited for you to be here. I'd love to meet you. I'll be in the back after the service, and uh, I'm excited. We invited some people today, and, and uh, some of you are aggravated that your person didn't come. Uh, well, that's okay. Invite them again, and uh, they'll show up. I we met Tracy Wednesday night. I'm glad to have her. Dave is in the back. Thank you, Dave, for coming. He's, he's been painting him and his company. They've done an awesome job, and uh, I'm so glad to see him this morning. My good friends, Troy and Pam, are here. Thank you all for joining us today. And uh, all of you, I met Travis this morning, and this uh, Jim and Patty's got some friends. Thank you all for being here. I, we really are excited. And if, if Gary invited you, tell me when you leave. I, I'm trying to see if I got more to come than he did, and I... He throwed out some numbers like 15 or 16, and so uh, if he did invite you, I, I know somebody came this morning and already told me, but if he invited you, let me know, and I'll try to give him credit for that, but uh, we are excited. We're on our third week. You, you got to make any type of announcement, or you you just get, I'm sorry, brother. I, I love you, brother. He called me early this morning, and he's excited about today, too, and so we're excited. We're in our third week of our, our series in the book of Colossians. Uh, we're talking about Christ-centered living, and uh, this morning we're going to talk about living in light of His Lordship. And so the last couple of weeks, we've just introduced the book of Colossians. You, you can look there. It's one of Paul's letters uh, in the New Testament uh, towards the back of the Bible. And uh, Paul began by thanking the Lord for the church in Colossae, uh, for the gospel that had gone there and how the gospel was changing lives. Uh, last week he began to uh, pray for the church that they would progress spiritually, uh, that they'd be wise and understand the things of God. And, and then he reminded the church that, that Jesus had come and redeemed them and delivered them out of darkness. And, uh, and so that's where we finished off last week. And, and this, this morning he's going to talk about who Jesus is. And uh, nothing more important for us to, to talk about and understand is who Jesus is. And uh, when we started through Colossians, I said this might be the most Christ-centered book in the Bible. Uh, I think we'll see that this morning. And so if you'll find Colossians 1, I invite you to stand. And uh, we're going to read verses 15 through 23 this morning. Colossians 1. You know, some believe that uh, verses 15 through 20 was a, a hymn about Jesus. And uh, as we read these verses, we'll see how rich they are in telling us about Jesus. Verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. That, that's our desire, is that Jesus would be preeminent in our lives. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil th deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And Father, we, did that. we thank you today for the blood of Jesus, for His death, 
for his resurrection. Uh, Lord, I pray that we've come to just better understand how all that provided for our reconciliation with, with you. How you've made us right and holy and blameless in your sight. And uh, it's all because that Jesus would go to the cross and bear our sins. And uh, we pray this morning that Jesus would be lifted up. And that he would be preeminent in our lives. That we would know him and love him and worship him. Uh, Lord, we know your spirit desires to do that in our lives, and we pray that you would have your way in these next few minutes for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have your seat. You know, as I read and study, some of you have been reading along every week the book of Colossians. I just want to encourage you to do that again. There's two or three verses in here that are really uh, very important. And uh, this phrase at the end of verse 18, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Uh, that's the theme of this book, is that Jesus might be preeminent. Uh, that's the one main point we have this morning, is that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one, that He is the all-surpassing one. As I mentioned in the first sermon on the book of Colossians, there were some false teachers that had kind of worked their way into the church, and, and much of their false teachings were in relationship to the person of, of Christ and who Jesus is. And no one during that in the first century would have denied the prominence of Jesus, uh, but many deny the preeminence of Jesus, and many still do today. Uh, some denied his humanity. And so there were some who would teach that, that the matter the, is evil and therefore God couldn't have taken on human flesh. Uh, some deny the sufficiency of Christ for salvation. Some deny that Jesus was uh, divine, that he was God. And, uh, but Paul's going to just kind of address those false teachings head on this morning by talking about the preeminence. When I say preeminence, uh, that means first place. Highest ranking, surpassing all others. And so Paul wants us to get that. Uh, and, and listen, I just want to, before we get into the text, I, I want you to know that Jesus desires to be preeminent in your life, in my life. He, he desires first place. And you, you might say, well, uh, in what areas? All of them. In your homes, your marriages, your family, your relationships, in ministry, in the church. With your time, with your profession, with what we watch, who we worship, uh, our conversations. Listen, Jesus doesn't want to play second fiddle to anything in all of creation. Listen, he created everything. He, he doesn't want to play second fiddle to anything that he has created. He desires the position of preeminence. D.L. Moody said, I, I'm going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that men will turn to him. Now, that's a good go in preaching. And listen, we don't even have to make him attractive. When we preach Jesus, he is attractive. And we're going to see that this morning. And so why is Jesus Christ the preeminent one? Well, Paul's going to lay it all out for us. Uh, first, he's going to explain the fact that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And he's going to give us at least seven evidences in regards to the divinity of Jesus Christ. And when I use that word divinity, I just means that the fact that Jesus is God. The first thing it says there in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. So Paul doesn't mince any words. He is the image. That, that's the Greek word icon. Uh, it's the word that we get for icon. It means likeness or replica. 
in the first century, an image was a die or a stamp that was able to, to make an exact reproduction. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. That phrase, made Him known, means that Jesus declares God. He exegetes God. He, the, the world is able to see God through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus said in John 14.9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I mean, that was the awesome privilege of the disciples and others that were alive in Jesus' time. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint, the exact representation of His nature and His being. Someone has said that, that Jesus is God with skin on. Now, that, that's a pretty good word picture. Jesus is the, in, the visible image, what we could see, of the invisible God. Some people say, well, I just can't believe in something I can't see. Well, Jesus came, and men were able to behold Him, to see Him. He is the precise copy because He is God Himself. And so He represents and He manifests God to the world. John 1.14, the Word, talking about Jesus, became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, church, we can say Jesus is God, and therefore He is worthy of that place of preeminence in our lives. Jesus is not just the image of the invisible God, but verse 15 goes on to say He's the firstborn of all, or over all creation. So that's the, the second evidence. He is the firstborn of all creation. Now, Jehovah Witnesses will take this verse and say that it teaches that Jesus was a created being, and therefore He's not God. Well, the reason is because they ignore the context and the language that's used here. In the ancient times, firstborn meant the highest ranking or the supreme one. I'll give you an example of this in uh, the book of Psalm, uh, Psalm 89, verse 27. This is talking about King David. It says, I will make him the firstborn and the highest of the kings of the earth. I'll make him the firstborn. Was, was David the firstborn in his family? No, he was the lastborn. He was the eighth of, of eight brothers. He was the, the last one, and yet he is spoken of as the firstborn. And that verse concludes that he'll be the most high or the highest of the kings of the earth. And so firstborn here is a, a title of honor or position. It, it does not speak of chronological order. And so John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and it's referring to Jesus. He was with God, and He was God. And so church, we, we got to know that Jesus was God. And so when Paul calls Him Christ the, the firstborn of all creation, he's, he doesn't mean that He was Created, but he holds the position of highest honor. He is supreme over all creation. And so Jesus is the image of God. He is exalted over all of creation. Number three, he's the creator of all things. Uh, in case we missed or misunderstood what firstborn means, uh, Paul explains in verse 16 uh, that all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And so listen, Jesus is not a mere man. 
He is the creator of all things. Those things that we can see, those things that we can't see, the throne, some things we can't even see, but, but Jesus created them all. And so here in the context of Colossians 1, uh, Paul declares that Jesus is the sovereign creator of all things. And uh, Paul not only specifies that, that Jesus is the creator of all things, but, but he tells us the purpose of creation. All things were created through him and for him. I mean, the, the purpose of all of creation is for the glory of, of Christ. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. You created it all, and it's all for your glory. The New Living Translation puts it this way, For you created everything, and it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. Uh, Romans 11 has another place. There's lots of places in Scripture it talks about the, that fact. Romans 11, verse 36, For for him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. From him and through him and to him are all things. And then, and then Paul talks about the fact that, that he created all things. And we get to chapter 12. Therefore, because of who Jesus is, therefore, present yourselves, your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God. That's your, that's your reasonable worship. Because He is our Creator, we should give ourselves to Him. And, and when we understand who God is, it's only reasonable for us to love and to serve and to worship and to exalt Him and to bow our knees to Him and to church to live in light of His Lordship because He's our Creator. The fourth statement uh, that attests to the fact that Jesus is God is, is that He is before all things. Notice verse 17. And He is before all things. If you go back to Genesis 1 1, you remember there's, that's in the beginning. There was nothing. God created ex nihilo. There was nothing. God spoke and everything came into existence. In the beginning, there was nothing. God spoke, the heavens and earth, all that came together. Uh, Jesus has always existed. He, he was there before creation. If you could uh, travel back to the beginning of creation, Jesus was already there and he was there for eternity. Now, children want to know well, where, where did God come from? And you say, well, he's always existed. It, it, go back in your mind as far as you can go, and maybe that's further for some people than others, but go back as far as you can go, and when you get there, Jesus is already there, and he's been there forever. And we can't hardly get a hold of that because we're finite, and he is infinite. Uh, but the truth is, no matter how far back our imaginations can go, we can never reach a point where it can be said that God was not. He always was. He always is, and He always will be. He is infinite God. Not only is He before all things, but verse 17 says, in, all things, in Him all things hold together. And so He's the sustainer of all things. That word hold together means to, to prevent something from falling into complete chaos. And so Christ is before all things, and that, that's in time and rank. And He's not only the creator, but He's the cohesion that holds it all together. Hebrews 1.3 reminds us that he holds everything together by the power of his word. And so if he were to remove his sustaining power, everything in this world would dissolve. I mean, the earth would stop rotating. The sun would stop shining. The stars, everything would just fall apart. 
you know, uh, some of you watch too much news, and uh, those people that watch too much news, usually they're either angry or depressed, and it's always the sky's falling and, and uh, everything's coming unglued. Listen, there, there's no need for us to get anxious about that. You say, why? Because Jesus is holding everything together. You say, well, why is the chaos? Well, he allows us to reap what we sow, and we do that sometimes, and, and, uh, but, but he upholds everything, the Bible says, by the word of his power. And just in case you didn't know, he's not sitting up in heaven wringing his hands sometimes when something major happens. I mean, what is major to God? Nothing is. He, he created all things. There, there's nothing major. Listen, there's never been a crisis in heaven or on earth. Never been a crisis. And uh, listen, we, we, we say we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. We know what's going to happen in the end. He's going to be exalted among the nations. We, we know exactly how all this is going to end. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. We'll come back to that one. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And so number six, he's the firstborn from the dead. Now we've already considered this word firstborn a little bit. It means highest in rank. And so Paul doesn't say that Jesus was the first one to be raised from the dead because he wasn't. That's happened before. I mean, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and in the Old Testament, some were raised from the dead. So it's not that he was the first, but he is the most important of all who have ever been raised from the dead. And that speaks of his resurrection. And we know that it was his resurrection that gave him victory over death. It was his resurrection that gave us undeniable proof that Jesus is indeed God. I mean, this morning I was reading from 1 Corinthians 15 and... Uh, Paul, Paul's just saying, well, if Christ is not raised, then we're in lots of trouble. And if Christ is not raised, then, then we won't be raised. And all these things, that we get to verse 20, he says, but Christ indeed has been raised. Amen? Christ has been raised, and he is the firstborn from the dead, and, and uh, that in everything, listen, that in everything, that he might be preeminent. I mean, it's Christ is all and in all, and let me give me one more acclamation that Jesus is God, verse 19. He has the fullness of God dwelling in him. Verse 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It gave the Father great joy and pleasure to have all of his fullness dwell in his son Jesus. Well, let me just point out three little things in this verse about this. Uh, first of all, the fullness of God dwells in him, not around him or under him or upon him. It was in him. The fullness of God was in Jesus Christ. That, that word dwell means to take up residence. And it points to the incarnation that God became man. The God-man, Jesus. God became man. It was dwelt in him. It, it's used in the, the sense of a permanent dwelling. And we see it in Colossians 2.9. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And then Paul uses that little phrase, all his fullness. He uses it eight times in Colossians. Uh, he wanted to make sure the believers knew that Jesus is the fullness of God. And the fact that it pleased the Father to have all this fullness dwell in Christ is proof that Jesus Christ is God. Listen, there's just no denying that from the Scriptures. And listen, we ought to be able to overwhelm Jehovah's Witnesses and anybody else who deny that Jesus is God. All we have to do is take them to the Scriptures. And so we got that, don't we, church? Jesus is God. Second claim, verse 18, Jesus is head of the church. You see that? He is the head of the body of the church. 
And Paul uses a personal pronoun here that's very emphatic. It literally means he himself is the head. And listen, church, Jesus is the only one qualified to be the head of the church because he purchased the church with his blood. It's, it's his church. The word head there means that Jesus is the authority or the source of the church. And we understand that. Without the head, the, the body would die. And yet it, it seems sometimes that some churches have forgotten that Jesus is the head. Listen, if Jesus is not supreme in the church, he's not the authority of the church, he's not the chief shepherd of the church, he really isn't the church. I believe maybe part of the problem in Colossae is that they had lost some of their connection to Christ, and as a result, they were open to some of these false teachings and, and even some of this stuff that began to affect their, their, their behavior. And so I just want to say Jesus is head of the church. Jesus is head of Burlington Baptist Church. It's not me. I'm the under-shepherd. He's the head of the church. It's not the deacons. Jesus is the head of the church. He is supreme over the church, and we bow to His authority. And the way that we bow to His authority is by standing on the Word, because this is from Him. You say, how do you let Jesus be head of the church? You obey His instructions. I mean, my job is pretty simple. I just preach the Word. He's going to build the church. Matthew 16, 18, I'll build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. We build the church through preaching of the Word. He's the head. And so Jesus is God. Jesus is head of the church. Third thing, he's the reconciler of all things. This is where I wanted to get to this morning. Verse 20, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So a Bible dictionary defines reconciliation like this. The restoration of friendships or fellowship after estrangement. Restoration after estrangement. Why, why do we need to be reconciled? Because we've been estranged from God. I, I want us to consider our predicament before our reconciliation. How, how does the Bible describe us before we were reconciled to God? Well, verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That, that's a picture of each of us apart from Christ. We were alienated estranged. We were separated from God. We, we use the word alien to talk about strangers or, or outsiders. Listen, apart from the grace of God, we are all estranged, separated from God. Not just that, we're hostile in mind and, or, or, or enemies. We're not just alienated. The Bible says that we were actively hostile to God. Now, we, we don't like to think about that, do we? But that's our condition apart from Jesus. Uh, Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And then Paul says, not only that, our behavior was evil. Our bad thoughts leads to bad behavior. What's inside us comes out. It overflows. Our, the evil in us. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. Now that, that's the doctrine of the depravity of man. We, we are evil to the core. And Paul just wants us to know that. And I, I know that's ugly, but that's the predicament of the natural man. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, that, that, that's, that's where you're at. Alienated from God. Separated from God. Hostile to God. They were, listen, we're all there. Romans 3.23, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so that's a picture of us before Christ. It's ugly. Thankfully, we have verse 22. I mean, we don't have to stop at 21. 
He reconciles us, and then we come to verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And so Jesus came and he brought reconciliation through his death on the cross. And so I, I want to point out our presentation after our reconciliation. We looked at our predicament before. How are we going to be presented? And so uh, it says that it pleased the Father to allow his Son to, to come so that through his reconciliation provided by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, he could present us, present us as saved sinners in heaven. And he's going to present us, church, get this, holy, blameless, and above reproach. That, that word present is a word used in the Old Testament to, uh, after you examine a sacrifice to see if it was acceptable to be offered. Uh, and so, Look at how we will be presented one day uh, before God. This is the result of our reconciliation. This is good stuff here. Huh? Holy. We're going to stand before God one day holy. That means set apart. That means to be declared holy by God. Is, is it because we're holy? Think it like this. It's because He has credited to our account His holiness. See, we gave Him our sin. He took it on the cross. And He credits to our account his righteousness. And so he's going to see us as holy. Secondly, blameless or without blemish. You know, when you offered a, a, a sacrifice in the Old Testament, you had to bring an animal without spot or defect or all that kind of stuff? Well, that's the word here. That God is going to see us with no blemishes. Listen, i got lots of blemishes. You know me. I'm a sinner. I got... But he's going to see the perfection of Jesus. And then thirdly, above reproach, or literally free from accusations. This is a legal term, and it means that there are no charges of condemnation that can ever be brought against a believer in the court of divine justice. It's a beautiful word. It means that we're going to stand before a holy God, and there is going to be no condemnation, no accusations against us. Uh, Romans 8.1, don't you love Romans 8.1? Therefore... There's there enough for no condemnation for those in Christ. Based upon all that Jesus has done, that we do not stand condemned anymore because we are in Christ. And so here's the picture. Apart from Jesus, you're alienated, you're hostile, you're evil. But Jesus came to the rescue to redeem us and reconcile us. Listen, on our own, we can never be holy and blameless and above reproach. Our, our righteousness is filthy. Listen, church, we need Jesus. we got time to look at a few more in Romans. Let's quickly, Romans 8, back to Romans 8 for a minute. Romans 8, 33 and 34. I love Romans 8. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Don't waste your time. It's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is in Listen, that's this beautiful picture of of the, Satan can condemn all he wants, but Jesus has got the ear of the Father. And he just says, I got him. I got that one. I got that one. I got that one. But Satan says, but you know what? You know what, Harold? Listen, Jesus got it. Jesus says, I got that one. I covered it. Covered it. Covered it. Whatever it is, whatever he can accuse me of, Jesus says, I took care of it on the cross. That's the beauty of that. That's our hope. 
I don't stand in my sin. I don't want to stand before God in my sin. I, I don't have to. I'll be blameless. And it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. I like to get a hallelujah out of that. Whew, it's good. And then our perseverance from our reconciliation. Verse 23, uh, if there is important. It, it's an if clause. It doesn't mean that the believer can lose his salvation if he fails to continue in the faith. It carries the idea of certainty. It could be translated, if indeed you continue in the faith, and I believe that you are doing so, here's the results of that. In Colossians 3, 1, if you then have been raised with Christ. Well, there's certainty in that. There, there's certainty that the believers, the true believers, are indeed raised with Christ. And then Paul uses some architectural imagery here. He says that if that's the case, then you're stable, steadfast, not shifting. The, uh, the, the town of Colossae was located in an area where they had lots of earthquakes. And so, man, they could really understand this language. If you build a house, you, you want to get a right foundation. If you get the, the right foundation, you don't have to worry about it shifting. And, and uh, Listen, church, that's true for us. If we're saved and we're built upon the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, then, then we will continue in the faith. We will. He who began a good work in you is going to complete it until the day of Christ. Ma Matthew 7 let me read 24 through 27. Everyone who hears these words, Jesus speaking here, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And that rock is Jesus. He's the foundation. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew. And we, we're going to get all that in life. They're going to come against us. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Listen, build your life on the rock. It'll stand. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and they will come. The winds blew and beat against the house. It fell and great was the fall of it. We're to, we're to build on Christ. I mean, the most important thing I can ask you this morning is are you building your life on the rock who is Jesus? And does he have, does he have preeminence in your life? Have you been reconciled to God through faith in His Son? And the last thing I want to end with is just the, His power of reconciliation. Uh, I want to go back to verse 20 before we conclude. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. How did He, how did he reconcile a holy God to a bunch of sinners? How did He do it? Look at the end of that verse. By making peace by the blood of His cross. And so Paul clearly tells us that our means of reconciliation with God is through His blood. His blood that He shed on the cross. Uh, and so as people come to, to saving faith in Christ, they are reconciled to Christ through His blood. Listen, if we could be made right with God any other way, then it would have been cruel of the Father to allow His Son to die on that cross. But church, there was no other way. We stood condemned in our sin. Only a holy, sinless sacrifice could be offered, and Jesus provided that way. Again, back to verse 21 for a second. We were alienated. We were hostile to God. We were evildoers. That's us. But I can just see Paul writing this. He, he just wanted to get out of verse 21 so he could get to verse 22 and see that God took the initiative in our reconciliation. He extended grace to sinners, and he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. You see that? In his body of flesh, Christ's physical body has reconciled, reconciled us 
by his sacrifice. I mean, Jesus had a real human body. And the New Testament is clear about that. Jesus was both God and man. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree. Jesus in his own body bore that, bore our sin, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you're healed. By his wounds we've been reconciled to God. Listen, we, this is deep this morning. It's good stuff. We, we, listen, we, we've hopefully come to understand a little bit more about who Jesus was and is. And it's so important to know that Jesus was God and he did step out of heaven. And he did come as a man and he did live a sinless life. And he did go to the cross to bear our sins. He did shed his blood. He was raised from the dead. And he offers salvation. He offers to reconcile you to God. And it's through faith, through faith alone in his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And this morning, I want to invite you to be reconciled to God. You know, I used to invite people to, to make Jesus Lord in their lives. We, we don't really find that language in the Bible. We, we see in Acts 2.36 that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He is Lord. He is Lord. Our, our biblical mandate is not to make him Lord, but rather to bow to his lordship. And listen, one day, he, every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess Jesus is Lord. One day. But we can do it today. Today, we can acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And so I want to say to you today, will you, will you be reconciled today? Will you be saved today? Will you... Have your sins forgiven? Will you have the hope of eternity? Listen, if you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, I want to invite you to do that this morning. So stand with me. We're going to pray. And uh, after we pray, we're going to have an invitation. Listen, if you're separated from God today in your sins, it's a great day to be reconciled. Jesus has shed his blood for you. And you can bow to his lordship this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Boys, we've just been reminded today that Jesus, through his blood, has provided us with everything we need to be saved. And Lord, you desire to, to bring us out of darkness, to deliver us from evil. We, we don't have to be enemies anymore. We can be friends. We can stand blameless. We can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, I, I pray that you've opened some eyes this morning. Our great prayer this morning is that some will be reconciled to you, be brought into the family, be adopted into your family, uh, an, an eternal family. Do that this morning, we pray, and we'll give you glory for it, because it was your blood that made it all possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, this morning, would you respond? If you're, if you're here without Christ, the greatest decision you'll ever make is to confess Jesus as Lord. I'd love for you to do that this morning. I'd love to answer any questions you may have about that. And if you are a believer this morning and you've confessed Jesus as Lord, let me ask you, is, is he preeminent in your life? Does he have first place? Maybe you need to spend some time with him this morning and say, I've put everything else in front of you and you did way too much for me for that. I want to make some changes. Listen, he, he'll be gracious. He'll forgive you of that and renew your spirit he'd love to do that this morning and and maybe someone wants to come and just be reminded of the blood of christ this morning and partake of communion you're welcome to do that you this is your time to respond as the spirit leads this morning